now turn to our scripture passage, which is just three verses here today. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, we've been looking at, you know, the, the more and more um, Jesus uh, comes into conflict with the Pharisees, who are the spiritual elites of this time. Like, they know the Bible better than anyone else. They know of their theology. They know their stuff. And yet, it's with these religious folk that Jesus seems to have uh, the, the most intense arguments with. And today is just kind of like a reminder, like, it's not about what you know. It's about who you really trust that's really going to matter. Who do you really trust? And Jesus takes this opportunity to show us this metaphor of being like children, that perhaps this is what our spiritual lives has got to look like, being children before God. And so with this in mind, if you're able, can you please stand with me as, we read God's word, as I read God's word to you? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Uh, let's give them our full attention today. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer here? Lord, as we come before you, we pray that you would engage our minds and hearts of what it means to be a child before you and what it means for you to not only be our God, but also our Father. And so as we come, we come with many burdens, we come with many distractions, we come with many things. But here in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you remove so many of the barriers, the hindrances, and help us to see and hear clearly the good news of Jesus. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a, a boy, like a little, little kid, I made toast for the first time. You just put in the toaster oven, and then the toaster rings, and ding, and the two toasts are supposed to come out. And I, I thought it was a great accomplishment because I was so young. But when, it, when the ding thing happened and the two breads came out, they caught on fire because I set the temperature too high. And I started freaking out as a little kid, and I, I automatically ran upstairs to my mom, and, you know, my mom's just kind of like looking at me, and I, I don't even think I said anything because I was so scared. I was just mumbling and then finally I just said fire fire and my my mom quickly went downstairs and she just grabbed a bucket of water and just doused it and that was that and I was like I was like crying because I was so scared and she just like hugged me and she said it's gonna be okay it's fine it's okay it's okay it's okay I think like this idea of it's okay is something that we all long to just hear whether it's true or not, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 
And the thing is, the thing that Jesus says here is that unless you become like a child before God, you can't be okay. Unless you become a child before God himself, you cannot be okay. What does he mean by this? We're going to look at three things here. One is what hinders us, what hinders kids. Uh, secondly, um, what it means to find help. And last of all, when we need a hug. These three key indicators, what it means to be a child of God. Hindrances, the help we need, and the hug. Let's look at the first part here, hinder. And now this is purely anecdotal on my part. I don't know how much credibility there is, but I've noticed two things about elderly people is that they like two things really uh, like a lot. One is bread, and the second are kids. Like every time I go to a bakery uh, down in San Diego, there's this bakery we used to love going to. It's called Bread and Sea. It'd be full of old people just dining out and munching on delicious bread and baguettes. And they would always make comments about my kids, how cute they were. And, you know, they'd always try to like small talk with them, buy them small little treats and break it off for them and give it to them. And the elderly, I realized they, they really love kids. And they'd say things like, you remind me of my grandkids. There's something about a child's face that makes you want to smile, but also makes you want to make them smile. There's something about staring into a child's face that's like staring into the future. There's this sense of innocence, a hopefulness, that maybe perhaps things can get better in this world, or there are, at least there's a willingness to try. All this is brought out just by simply looking at a child's face. And my theory is that as old age hits, these feelings are more intensified to want to believe all these things are true. In the Old Testament, uh, children symbolize God's covenant promises to his people. You think about the promise that God makes to Abraham in uh, Genesis 15, 5, that he promises Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. Or you look back onto Genesis 3:20, when after the fall of sin into the world, of sin and death, Eve is called the mother of all living. Every Hebrew boy that is born, uh, there's this sense of hope that maybe this child can be the promised Messiah that has been promised about. During Jesus' time, immortality is linked to parents living through their children as they carried on the family name. So when you think about children in this kind of context, children literally, literally were the future for them. It's so real for them. So you can't blame any of these parents here in this scenario where they bring all their little kids to Jesus in order for them, in order for Jesus to bless the kids. Kids are the future. But there's also this other view of kids, and it's the disciples. What do they do? They rebuke them. The disciples rebuke the parents for bringing the kids to be blessed by Jesus. That word for rebuke, you find it in two other places in the Gospel of Mark. In 125 and 925 up here, Jesus uses the word rebuke for casting out demons. He rebukes them. These are harsh words. 
Who would fault these parents for wanting Jesus to bless their kids? And yet the disciples, they rebuke the, uh, the kids. The disciples act as Jesus' bodyguards to protect his personal space. Because for them, kids were a nuisance. Jesus has more important things to do than uh, hang out with unimportant people that are small and that have nothing to offer them. So leave Jesus alone. Let Jesus do the important thing. Let him do his mission work. You, do your, uh, you children, go away. And that's the thing about kids. Children who can't read, children who tantrum, children can whine, they can make obscene noises. He's got better things to do. In the disciples' minds, children are insignificant. See, most of the ancient world, they didn't have kids because they wanted to have deeper, loving memories with them or a loving relationship. They had kids purely out of survival because of an agrarian society and a farming culture. They needed as much manual labor as possible. So there's no sentimentality attached to children. As a matter of fact, most couples lost kids then actually raised them during that time. Kids had no rights at all. They had nothing to offer. And this is why the disciples acted the way that they did. Send them away. And as Jesus is watching all this unfold, he says in verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he became indignant. And he told them, do not hinder them. Don't hinder the kids. Don't hinder the kids at all. There are so many ways that we can hinder our own kids. There are so many ways we can hinder them. You know, this past week, um, I usually have a nightly routine of night, uh, family worship right before the kids go to sleep. And you know, by the end of the day, all you want your kids to do is just listen and just go to sleep right away after. And so we'll do this routine of singing a song, reading a devotional passage, and then I'll pray. And right as, you know, so far so good, I, I sing, we read the passage, and then I start to pray. And the kids think it's a great idea to make armpit noises, fart noises with their armpits, and they start giggling while, while I pray. They start laughing. They start crawling on one another. And as I'm trying to pray, being reverent before them, I just get annoyed. And I just said, you know what, guys? Fine, I'm done. And like, Kathy was like, hey, like it just seems like you're just trying to get this over with. You have to teach them. You have to be intentional with them. You know, at that moment, I was too like heated. But once I give it some time, she's right. Why am I hindering these kids? Like, why am I saying immature things like, I'm done praying for you guys because you're not acting right? It's ridiculous. So easily we can hinder our kids in this way. I find so many, you know, we, we, we want the best for our kids. Every parent wants the best for their kids. Who doesn't want the best for their kids? We want society to have, uh, to, uh, to produce the best things for our kids, to uh, pro provide a culture that will help them to thrive. And you know what? We can invest all we want into sports. We can invest all we want into all the coding camps, to the music, which is all great and all. But it's not guaranteed that those things will enrich their lives to be the musicians you want them to be, to be the doctors or lawyers you want them to become, to have the skill sets or whatnot. But you know what is absolutely guaranteed? Children will meet the Lord 
And are we investing enough of ourselves to show them the goodness of Jesus daily? To show them what the rhythms of grace are supposed to look like? Because 100% they will meet the Lord. Just a question of what context. Do not hinder them. To hinder children is to hinder ourselves. For to such belong the children of God. That before anything else, we are children of God to begin with. Needy, without anything to offer, and yet still loved by God in Christ. Sometimes we forget we are once kids. Sometimes we forget that we're kids. And we don't realize that we will actually turn into kids once again. That eventually as our old age kicks in, someone eventually will have to teach us how to walk. Someone will eventually have to feed us, drive us around, explain things to us over and over and over again. Needy, without anything to offer, but dearly loved by God. And Jesus says, this is who we are. Guys, this is, a, you know, this is like a little bit of a segue here, but like this is why as a church, as a Presbyterian church, we believe in baptizing infants. Because as long as, as much as my brothers who are Baptists, as much as they believe in believer's baptism, that you need to make a credible profession uh, for yourself before you can be baptized, well, that, that takes away the whole point of what baptism is. It's that God is the only one who is actually credible He's the one that can only make promises and keep them. And that all of us are just little children, nothing to offer, and yet God still puts his anointing blessing on that. Because at the end of the day, we're all just helpless, like little children. Which brings us to the second point here, help. The four-letter word that we all hate to use but need to use more often Help is the language that uh, we would rather suffer in silence than to actually ask for help, especially in this country. The World Population Review actually put out this statistic that it's America that has the highest rates of drug use in this country. Highest use in the land of the free, in the land where people uh, 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 self-proclaimed men highest rate of drug use makes me think about Matthew Perry I don't know if any of you heard but the actor formerly known as Chandler on Friends um, died, passed away uh, two weeks ago or something and um, he's been open about his own uh, addictions and struggles with it struggles with narcotics and he became such an advocate for helping people because when he was at the lowest of his lows uh, he would pray to God, and somehow God found him. And ever since then, he's been on this journey to want to help people, to help them out of their struggle, because recovery is this huge process. And for those of you who don't know, he passed away in a hot tub by himself. The cause of death was labeled deferred. And I always wonder, in these final moments of whatever darkness he was going through, did he forget to ask for help? Did he ask for help himself? I read somewhere that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, 
but it's human connection. That we need someone in our lives to help us. Nothing brings out about human connection the more than this word of help. It's the language of belonging to God's kingdom. One that children are well-versed in. Help, I can't find my socks. How do you do this problem? Can you tie my shoes? Can you braid my hair like Elsa's? Where's dinner? I'm hungry. Can you play with me? I'm bored. I need help. It's a language that we need to recover for ourselves. It must come as a shock for the disciples to hear that it's the least important people, the children, that Jesus says belongs in the kingdom of God. For truly I say to you, verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not not enter it, shall not enter this. I have this hot take. You ready for it? I think Halloween is far more gracious than Christmas. Oh, you don't seem that shocked, but like, the thing is, I experienced Halloween first time in the Bay Area. Kids dressed up. Miles was like this red squirrel. Everyone thought he was a moose. And Millie dressed up as a bobcat in the midst of all these princesses. And you know, like, Halloween was actually lovely. I'm not, I wasn't stressed out about it. They're going around, they just say trick-or-treat, they receive their candy, they don't have to do anything in return, they just go around, receive free candy. It's like a kid's dream. But Christmas, I feel like we have this mental spreadsheet about how to budget the gifts that we need to give to everyone. You know you all have them because you have, like, uh, the, like the important people, you got to spend this much, and then your mid-tier friends, you can't go too cheap on them because then they might think you, you hate them or something, so you gotta, you got to strategize really well, something that's good enough and still says that you're special. And then there's this added pressure of Christmas that you got to make more of Christ, right? After all, it is Christmas, so you got to make much of him. But like Halloween, you just go around, you just receive. It's gracious. No one's, uh, no one's expecting anything in return. And I think this is kind of like what the kingdom is like. You go around like little kids, nothing to offer, nothing to really be able to give back. You just plainly receive. It's all about receiving. Or as the Apostle Paul once put it in Romans 8:32 that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That the God who gives salvation graciously also gives us everything we actually, actually have. And the thing is, unless we see life as given to us, then it's awfully hard to receive anything. Unless life is given, how can you receive? I mean, when's the last time you saw someone who is entitled to be really a happy person? I've never witnessed that in my life. I've never seen an entitled person be happy. It's never happened. And the thing is, when we get so successful in our lives, what are the two things that we needed to make us successful? One writer put it this way, that sometimes what makes you successful is worry and anxiety. And the thing is, you can't let those two things go even after you become successful. Because after all, when you earn life, when you've attained everything you've got, 
how can you, how can you have the posture of receiving? The only way around this all is to take the posture of a child who receives everything from a father who graciously gives all things. That's why we need help. We need help belonging to God's kingdom in this way. That's the help we require. My kids, uh, my kid, he finished uh, his last day of soccer and his last game uh, was about a couple weeks ago. And to describe you his style of play, it's not like Ronaldo or Messi. It's like a honey badger, like mixed with a tank. He's just very relentless at going after the soccer ball. And like he's always getting kicked in the face with a soccer ball. Sometimes people step on his feet with their cleats. Sometimes his finger gets stepped on by the other kids. But he still gets up and he keeps going. I'm like amazed we didn't have to go to the ER this year. In the final game, someone kicked the ball so hard right in his stomach that the air left him, and he was crumpled down on the ground. And his entire team came around. They were like, Miles, are you okay? Miles, are you okay? And the team mom comes up and says, oh, you gotta, you gotta make him straight so that that's how the air gets in. And like this whole community, I thought it was like a beautiful scene of them like caring for this kid when he was down on the ground. And at the end of the game, game, it ended with this party of pizza and cake, and all the kids were going crazy, like they, like they won the World Cup or something. But like, no, it's just your last game. It's over. And like, but they're enjoying their time together. And in this moment, I see the kingdom. Because we all get hit. We all want to be crumpled down on the ground. Sometimes you need this community to lift you up Say, straighten yourself out. Look to Jesus. He's right there. Take a breath. Look to Jesus. And then at the end of it all, there's a grand party called the new heavens and new earth that we'll get to enjoy. Not because you've won anything. It's just simply because he's good. And you will be a part of that. We all need help belonging to this kingdom because you and I, we get hit a lot. We get hit by many different tragedies, many different types of suffering. And when at the end of it all, we really need a hug because everyone struggles to see God in this life. How can you not? Apparently, I found out from my small group or our community group that Matthew Perry has this huge, is a huge Batman fanatic. And before he died, he had posted pictures of the bat signal. And usually people said that that is his way of signaling for help. People speculate whether he was actually looking for help or not. Some people say no. Some of his closest confidants say it's not that. No one can make, no one can know for sure. But I wonder with all this speculation, whether it's more about us that's seeking a sign to help us to make sense of why these kind of things happen. That perhaps if we can only have an explanation, then we can explain away so many of the different pains and the worries and perhaps the wounds that we ourselves carry. When at the end of it all, what we really need is a hug. Last point. These kids, they're impressionable. They know as much as we'll actually show them. 
We influence kids so much. Whether you like to believe it or not, you don't have to be a parent. On one of the games of Miles' soccer games, um, in one of these matches, the kids, they kind of talk trash to one another. It's kind of cute because they don't really know what to say, but they're like, oh, I'm going to win. You're not going to win. And it's kind of lame, actually. But one of the kids, they said something incredibly ridiculous. They used a innuendo. It was the most vulgar thing I've ever heard come out of the mouth of an 11-year-old during a soccer match. And Kathy and I instinctively said, hey, don't use words like that. And it's not just us. Other parents said it too. We had to check this kid. You know what I realized in this moment? They have to learn somewhere. You have to learn it somewhere. You don't get things like racism or classism or whatever types of isms in this world. You don't get those things without learning it somewhere first. The heart of Christ in this passage is to let people know that these kids will be bound in his arms, they will be hugged, and he blesses them. That Jesus' commitment to the kids is nothing less than blessing them. That's what he's committed to. Nothing they did to make them earn it or deserve it. A simply unconditional heart that he has. Yeah, it's the very same kind of heart that God has towards us. In the Old Testament, there's this theme of um, God's, father, uh, God's fatherhood. In places like Isaiah 1-2, Jeremiah 3-19, and Hosea 11-3. And it's this idea of God entering, uh, of entering into God's kingdom is like to enter into a relationship with God as your father. And this theme of God's fatherhood is intimately connected with the forgiveness of sins. Then in other words, God is deeply committed to bless us, to cleanse us of our sins and to bless us. But here's the thing. How can God be committed to our blessing if we still suffer? How can God still be committed to our blessing if we still suffer in this world? We are witnessing one of the greatest humanitarian crises in the Gaza Strip. Like the greatest humanitarian crisis. And it almost seems like you're not allowed to talk about it because if you're pro-Israel, you must be anti-Palestinian. If you're pro-Palestinian, you must be anti-Semitic. And it's such a hot topic today. And it's like you have to pick one side over the other. But the thing is, what side is God on? Has God not been pro-life since the beginning of time? That perhaps, perhaps, witnessing almost a genocide literally in front of our eyes is not the intention of God's heart. 4,000 kids, and that's probably a low count, these kids did nothing. They did nothing wrong. And you see these images of them just trying to go through the rubble and trying to uncover their parents' bodies in hopes that they could at least see them one last time. When you think about the parents digging for their kids, no matter if you're Palestinian or Israeli, their human life is a human life. 
What do you make of this? And yet, how can we affirm that a God who is so committed to blessing his people allows something like this to happen? It's hard to see God sometimes in these moments. One of the Lutheran pastors over there, um, they had a church that were housing all the refugees and their church got bombed in the, uh, in, in the midst of all this. And the week later, the, the pastor gave this sermon um, after the fact that their church got bombed, 18 people died, 400 people had to scatter and find a new place of refuge. And he said this one part that got to me. He said, out of all, the, all of these things, God is under the rubble of Gaza. He's with the frightened and the refugees. He is in the operating room. He is in our consolation. This is our consolation. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. End quote. I realize that in our moments of greatest darkness, nothing can compare to what's going on there. But as God's, we think that in these moments of darkness as like this God's lack of commitment to bless us because life is crazy and the world is crazy. But really, it's in these moments of darkness that God promises to still hold on to us even tighter, to gather us up in his arms, telling us the simple words of just belong, just belong, just belong that the only way you can know that God is actually committed to your blessing, regardless of what else, whatever is going on in this life, is because the worst tragedy has already been committed, that God's own son nailed to a cross for the forgiveness of sins, his hands nailed so that the hands of God can bless you with, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, the cross is always a reminder that the arms of Jesus remain wide open for you always, letting you know, little children, come to me. Come belong. Just belong. Just belong. Would you pray with me? God, none of us want to feel like a kid. It just makes us feel like we're not in control. It makes us feel so weak and so helpless. We've lived our whole professional lives not to feel that way. And you tell us to do the exact opposite. Because at the core of who we are are just little kids trying to figure it out just like anyone else. Jesus, you are the only one that can truly turn to us, look us dead square in our eyes and tell us you'll be okay. Because you are so committed to our blessing that you yourself are willing to go and endure the curse of sin and death. Lord, I lift up this small little prayer for Gaza and just peace there. I pray for ministers, missionaries that are just trying to aid humanitarian needs. 
I pray for our own lives. That in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our lives here in the Bay Area, like how do we connect all this? Is to be able to see the dignity of life in one another, not just here at church, but the people that surround our neighborhood, to share this humanity together that all of us are just kids and we all just need a loving father. Teach us what it means to take the posture of a kid and less of a self-proclaimed man or woman because Jesus received us as little children, nothing less and nothing more. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.